Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, Glad that you're with us. We're going to take some time today and kind of wrap up uh, some, some thoughts and some perspective that I think the Bible gives us during times like we're in, and especially just off the last few weeks, kind of what we've been discussing and what we've been Uh, praying about and thinking about as a church. Uh, We're definitely in a time where we're living with a lot of uh, confusion and concern. I think those are two words that keep popping up, right? Confusion, concern, and whether that's just personal, society, political, a little confused, maybe a lot confused, uh, and then concerned. Uh, maybe about a variety of, of things. And so one of the things I was praying to think about is wh- like, what's the role of Access Church? And, and I think it's important for us to kind of, um, to have an identity and a, a perspective of the role that we play as far as if we're a part of God's family, but we're also his servant. So which means we have an assignment. Whenever you see either the word slave or servant in the Bible, Um, that means you have an assignment. And so you have an identity as a family member, but you have an assignment through serving. And that's not just like, you know, jumping on a a serving team at church and that's my role. No, 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 just even in our community, online, in our world, what's our assignment? And maybe individually, but also kind of holistically as a church. So I've just been thinking through that. I mean, you see that as far as how people take um, opportunity when when people are concerned or they're confused, right? Uh, maybe you've seen things as far as like our our role is to point to the end times. The end is coming. See, there's all kinds of crazy things happening. People are acting crazy. They'll bring up Bible verses, First Thessalonians, where people are a lover of themselves and they'll point to certain things that they feel like exemplify that, right? And uh, so is it to point to the end times? Get ready because the end is coming. Um, I don't know, what do you say to when Jesus says, listen, you don't know when I'm coming. Like, I don't know, only the fathers know. Is that our role to, I don't know. Um, Is it our role to call out sin and foolishness of the people and of the nations, to rebuke the nations and to rebuke people and especially outside the church and to point them to where they're wrong politically, philosophically, relationally, or even morally? I don't know, we'll take a look at that. Maybe some of the scriptures will answer that for us. Again, I want God to answer these things, not it's coming from Brian. Is it to formulate a stance on every social issue? This is where a lot of people get confused. What about uh, civil rights? What about abortion? Uh, what about uh, economic you know, inequality? Uh, what about um, you know, supporting uh, police officers? And is it just reform or is it all these other things, right? And we're like, oh, do we have to have a stance? Do we have to have an, a strong opinion on every single thing? Or maybe for some of us, we're like, all right, if I'm honest, my role is to like hunker down, get my Bible, get my family, and just let this storm pass over, right? We're not on social media a lot. We're not watching the TV. It's almost like we're off the grid. And maybe we feel like, is that our role just to isolate and just like, you know, just wait in the corner for the storm to pass. And then when it shines again and things are good, we kind of come back out. So 
I kind of want to talk about moving forward uh, and not moving on like let's forget about what we've been thinking about and talking about the last few weeks, but there's a sense we do need to move forward and move forward on certain issues, but also just move forward as a church and as a people as far as how do we move in a time where the whole nation is paralyzed. Um, but I think God's called us to move forward with a certain mindset, certain actions, certain motivations. So I just want to bring those up. We're going to be reading a lot of Bible today. Uh, we haven't been the last few weeks. Ton of scripture. Uh, write these down. I encourage you, go over them. Don't just hear them from me, but because I talk really fast. Write them down and go over them this week and, and let God speak to you. These, these passages we're going are powerful, and I think they spoke directly to people back then that were going through very similar things we're going through. There was a lot of, um, you know, issues on race back in the time of Jesus, back in the early church that they had to address, and how do they address it uh, when it comes to economic inequality, uh, when it comes to just uh, famine, when it comes to earthquakes, when it comes to uh, just instability in society. That was all happening back then. And so we're going to be looking at passages that address that, that I hope speak to them back then, but also those passages for us today. So three things I want to focus on that. I think the Bible, there's many things. I think three things maybe for us as a church, as far as how do we move forward? In what way? The first thing I do is encourage you with this is, um, I think we're called to be um, building bridges, not fences. We're called to be building bridges, not fences. Um, bridges are a way for people to go from one side to the other, right? Bridges are a way, if you need to get to a, you know, a certain area that you're cut off from, that bridge helps you to overcome maybe certain obstacles, right? Christians were called to help overcome obstacles in order to develop relationship, in order to have influence. Isn't that what Jesus did, right? The great obstacle of our sin and rebellion, the great obstacle of we live in a world and we have flesh and blood and all that, and Jesus is far away and he's spiritual. He's not matter like we are. And, um, and then just he's so holy that he doesn't connect with anything that is sinful. And what did he do? He did anything he could to influence and to overcome where someone who builds fences is always looking to mark off a territory saying, it's mine, you stay over there and I'm gonna stay over here. And what I've noticed maybe is intentionally or unintentionally, uh, maybe we're building fences and God's asked us to build bridges in our families, with our friends, in our society, maybe with even people we oppose on certain issues or people that aren't of the same faith. Let, let me let the Bible speak, all right? So here's some of the passages we're going to read. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. This is what James writes. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? So what is wisdom, right? What, what is a wise person? And he goes, let them show up by their good life. So the Bible considers wisdom, someone who's wise, as someone who lives a good life, not who has acquired a lot of knowledge. 
I don't know if you know people that can acquire a lot of knowledge. They can have three or four masters, two or three doctorates, and they're still not wise. <laughs> and then also, inversely, people can not have any degrees and not be wise, or they can be very wise, right? The Bible would say that wisdom, a wise person, is one who lives it by a good life, by example, not by degrees, not by how many syllables they could pronounce in a word and how crafty their verbiage is, but a good life. And he says that a wise person is, um, let them show up by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So if you're wise, you're humble. If you lack humility, you cannot be wise. Those, those aren't compatible, the Bible would say. And he says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So don't boast about sin. Don't boast about being envious of what other people have or who other people are or have selfish ambition, um, which we do. We selfishly pursue things and then we promote it. The Bible says, don't, don't do that. That's not wise. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and the Bible would even say demonic pretty strong word, right? For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. We are in a society of disorder. And it says that where you have that, you have envy and selfish ambition. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is this. First of all, it's pure. Then it's peace-loving. Peace-loving. It loves peace. Wise people look for ways to build bridges, not fences. Fools build fences out of fear. Wise people build bridges out of love. So wisdom is pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. That's a bridge-building type of quality. Submissive. I don't want to do that. I don't want to listen to the government. I don't want to listen to what they have to say. I don't want to listen to that. What, you make me mad? I'll shut you off. Defriend you, we, right? Submissive. Submissive means to yield. It means that you don't cut in front of others. It means that it's okay to slow down and let someone else in your lane. Bridge building. Fence building, stay out of my lane. Full of mercy, full of mercy. Merciful, as God has shown us mercy. Realizing sometimes we all speak without thinking. Sometimes our ideas aren't fully formed. Sometimes we just have wounds and we speak out of those wounds and it's the only way we know how. We're merciful. We realize that we're all in the same boat as far as messing up and not having the perspective and the purity of God. So we all fall short, right? Romans, we all fall short of the glory of God. And then it says it's impartial and sincere. And then he ends again, he says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And in James 3, that's the main thing is peacemakers are looking to harvest righteousness. As far as peacemakers, their greatest goal is to build bridges in order to influence people for eternity, not just politically or philosophically or relationally. You can't be a peacemaker if our greatest desire is not someone's spiritual eternity. 
not fixing them up and having all these ideas straight and aligning with everything, but I just want you to know Jesus. And if I build a fence, I don't even have the influence for someone to know Jesus. First Peter chapter two says this. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. So he's saying this isn't your homeland. So as a foreigner, as someone that you're not staying here forever, you're someone that's just passing through to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. So we have this sin, we have these passions and desires and they wage war against us. They want us to respond like the world responds. They want us to live like the world lives. They want us to take us off spiritual things, right? And he says, live such good lives among those that don't follow Jesus, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live life in such a way that they're seeing your good deeds, not necessarily your best arguments. They're seeing your good deeds, not necessarily posts that demean and label and generalize and hyperbolize. Don't know if that's a word, but it is right now. Are you, are you getting the groove of what this is saying here? Of what God is saying? I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'm just reading the Bible. Seeing your foreigners here, this is not your land. You see, as a bridge builder, what I, what I always recognize is that my greatest identity is a child of God, not an American citizen. I think we've lost that today. I think we've lost that perspective. We're getting, we're getting caught up in some things. I think we gotta watch our posts. I think we gotta watch our mouths. I think we gotta watch our hearts. Access Church, let's make sure we're not building fences either intentionally or unintentionally. And we're called to be bridge builders. It's what Jesus did for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave him up to build a bridge, to build a way to the Father, to build a way to eternity, to build a way to heaven, to build a way to perfection. And we don't reach perfection here. No nation will do it. It's only through Jesus for Jesus and when we're with Jesus. He goes on to say, and I think this is a good reminder for us. This is the scriptures, the word of God that Paul wrote to Timothy. What is it? 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. The word of God is used uh, in order to help us to live godly, righteous lives. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. I know some of you are like, I'm just going to fast forward this part of the sermon. <laughs> Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, not for your sake, not for other people's sake, but again, because of my identity, I'm a bridge builder. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. I'm in verse 13. Whether to the emperor, and by the way, when he wrote emperor, this is at the time when he wrote this, this was Nero. Nero was putting Christians uh, and he was lighting them up like lampposts in Rome. That's what was going down when he wrote this. So whatever you think about this president, <laughs> our last president, the president before that, whatever you think about our governor, our mayors, please be careful. God is saying, listen, for my sake, not for your sake, um, let's make sure we submit. And then also he says, it doesn't matter who it is, whether the emperor as a supreme authority or governors who are sent by them to punish those who do wrong, 
For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. What silence foolish people is good living. Good living. Humility. Love. Mercy. Peace loving. Bridge building. I'm reminded of this in a time where these times kind of remind me, and I know I was born in 1973, so I don't totally remember this, but I've, I've studied quite a bit about it, but just, not just the civil rights movement, but the 60s and the 70s, just a tumultuous time in our nation uh, with war, with Vietnam, a lot of protests were going on. It reminds me a lot of, of kind of what's happening today. And in the book, uh, Billy Graham, uh, who, right, famous evangelist, um, just credible Christian, I've read a couple of his biographies and just phenomenal example. Uh, I think it was a biography just as I am, but he used to, back in the 70s, in order to be able to preach effectively to thousands and thousands of people, he would show up incognito. He'd put on a hat and sunglasses and make sure that he like, cause he's pretty popular, that he wouldn't be noticed, but he would show up to the rallies and just watch, pray. He would walk around. And this is when there was violence going on. This is when there was some horrible signs being written, some outrageous behavior, uh, rioting. And he would go and just watch. He would see the people. He was looking to be a bridge builder as far as not endorsing what they were doing, but trying to understand so he could speak into their lives because he cared about everybody, friend or foe, on the same political aisle or a different aisle. And that's why he was so good. That's why he was so effective. And I think that's why God gave him such a long lasting ministry and blessed him. That's the kind of heart I wanna have and I hope that our church has. Bridge builders, not fence builders. The second thing on your note sheet or your notes, I don't know if we do a note sheet anymore, but you could write this is, be culturally aware, but Jesus focused. Be culturally aware, but Jesus focused. And I think what happens is we can flip that around. And again, this is my observations and things I've been praying about as I read the scriptures and as I've been watching our church. Um, I think we flip that as far as we're very culturally focused or not, maybe even for some of us, obsessed. And then we're just aware of Jesus. And what happens is we don't really hear his voice or when we do, we can't interpret it correctly because it's like someone speaking to you and you hear them. Husbands, I'm talking to you right now, by the way, especially. It's where you're watching something, someone's speaking, and you're like, yeah, 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 but you don't know what they said. And I think that can happen where we're aware of Jesus, but we don't realize the words that he's actually saying because we're so obsessed with what's happening in our culture. I think we gotta flip that. I think we gotta flip the amount of hours we'll watch political um, shows or even for some of us, no political shows, we just need to veg and we're watching things that corrupt our minds and don't fill our minds and really help us to um, listen and hear Jesus. When things get crazy are, is when we wanna be more intentional to watch and listen for Jesus because he wants to speak into crazy situations. We see that in the Bible, right? Like when there's storms, Jesus speaks into the storms, waves, craziness, all kinds of stuff going on, lightning, thunder, and Jesus speaks peace. When crowds and they're rioting and they're angry, Jesus speaks words of 
peace. But we have to have ears to listen. One of the things I want to encourage as a church is to make sure that we're saving our energy and our passion for what matters most. And I'm down with you have a passion to vote for certain things. You have, a, you, have a, uh, you have an opinion on immigration. You have an opinion on a balanced budget. You have an opinion on how we should spend money. We have, you have an opinion on, you know, all kinds of things, voting rights, all, the, all those things. Many of those things, I'm excluding things like abortion, like true moral things. Um, but many of those things, there's no morality to them. We just have strong opinions, but we believe more in those things than in the scriptures of what Jesus is really passionate about. He's, he's passionate about lost people. He's passionate about his church and that the church represents him well, that the church looks like him so the world goes, oh, that's Jesus. The church doesn't become political. The church doesn't look like the United States as far as how it runs. It's not a democracy. We have a king and we trust the king. He's a loving king, he's a good king, but we're subject to him. Let me take you through a, a few passages that would remind us of this, okay? Romans 12, one through two, one of my favorites says this. Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice written to Christians in Rome. These are the Christians that are scapegoats, that are getting persecuted, that Nero is blaming for all the problems that are happening in Rome. He's trying to save face. If you read his, the history books, Christians are blamed in the early first century for a lot of problems in Rome. And so they're not, uh, they're not looked upon very well. And what does he write them? He doesn't say to focus on what's happening culturally. He says, listen, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, right? True worship is not singing your favorite song. It's only true worship is if you're singing your favorite song after you've sacrificed yourself holy and pleasing to God, then you're singing that song. That's true worship. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. That means the patterns, the way the world does things, the way the world handles conflict, the way the world handles relationships, the way the world handles chaos, the way the world handles all these other things, don't conform to that pattern. We have a new pattern. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. First Peter says this, 13 through 16, says, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober. So you're alert. You're aware of what's going on in culture. You're sober, right? So your mind's not, um, you know, intoxicated, and not just with alcohol, but intoxicated with things of the world. So you're, you're sober-minded as far as um, a true perspective on this world and life and people and sin and why things are happening the way they're happening, understanding that there's spiritual battles going on, right? You, you have a sober and alert mind. It says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't act like we did before we were Christians where we got swept into the things of this world and what the world cares about. Now, we care for the world, but we don't care about what the world cares about. 
We care about that there are people who will be disconnected from God for eternity. And that's the worst tragedy. That's worse than any pandemic. That's worse than anything we've experienced relationally. That's worse than any, anything that can happen in our lives. The worst thing is to be separated from God from eternity and that we care about that. And it says, set your hope on the grace brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your mind on what's happening, the end game. The end game is this whole world's gonna end. That's the end game. And the Bible says that it, it won't be pretty. The world doesn't get better. So we should expect this type of thing. We should expect this type of chaos. It shouldn't surprise us. We shouldn't be afraid of it. It's, the Bible says it's the birth pains of the end time before the deliverance when Jesus comes back, right? But he says this, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be holy because I am holy. By focusing on Jesus, it's not just focusing on what he says, but focusing on being like him. I encourage you, read the gospels during these kind of times. See how Jesus did with upheaval. See how he dealt with conflict, with people who are angry, with a society that was in chaos. Notice the stories. Notice the tension in the stories. Watch what Jesus focused on, what he cared about. Uh, I'm always, uh, I forget the passage, um, but where um, they try to trick Jesus. I think it's in Matthew. You have to read the whole chapter or the whole book. Uh, but where they, they try to trick him and they say, uh, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? They're trying to entrap Jesus. Like, you know, he's an evil guy. And uh, at the time, they were probably being taxed. I mean, we think our taxes are bad. They're probably being taxed 60, 70%, if not more, right? Horrible. And, and kept them oppressed and kept them poor. And said, what should you do? And, and again, Jesus was aware culturally what's going on, aware that, uh, that at the time that people were being, you know, oppressed. But he looked at the coin and he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God's what is his. And so when you're aware, you don't get sucked into certain things that the world's passionate about, but you understand what they're saying, you're right? But your greatest desire, your greatest passion is what God cares about, not what the political commentators or what the TV stations or just what our world says we have to care the most uh, about. And lastly, I just wanna bring you to 1 Peter um, chapter 5, verse six through nine where he says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Remember, Peter was written in a very tumultuous time in history, around 80, 60 to 64. And again, this is when Christians were being persecuted. Actually, this is when the Diaspora happened where uh, a lot of Christians were then, the, the reason the gospel spread is there's persecution and so people fled. And so what was weird is actually that was a good thing for the gospel. So what was bad for Christians is a good thing for uh, the gospel. And uh, he says, in the midst of all this, don't focus on the pain and the persecution. If you read other parts in 1 Peter, he even says, listen, you're gonna suffer, suffer righteously. He doesn't even say like, hey, it'll end soon. He just says, yeah, suffer righteously. And like he said in 1 Peter 1, and keep your focus on Jesus coming back, you'll get your reward, but honor, him. But he says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand 
that he will lift you up in due time. We don't lift ourselves up. No political leader lifts us up. No person lifts us up. It's God who lifts us up only when we humble ourselves and we stay within him. We stay within his protection, but also we stay within his passion, which means it's our passion. Stay focused on Jesus, um, but be culturally aware. We shouldn't be naive to what's happening uh, around us. Um, I want to remind us with this. Our, the culture wars in our society are not our wars. Ours are a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. Satan is looking to deceive and he's looking to separate people from God. Our goal is to reconcile people to God. And so our, our battles are not even the same. And so when people are like, Brian, how can you listen to people that, you know, I totally disagree with, or how can you listen to people that have certain views that maybe are even, you know, some are biblical, maybe they're even, they're not biblical. Because I'm called to be a bridge builder and I can't influence if I'm building fences and I'm not looking to win an argument, I'm looking to win souls. I think we got to really check ourselves during this time as a church. I think it's a good time to check ourselves. This kind of goes into the next point. So it's a good, uh, it's a good segue. The last thing is this, is making sure, critique ourselves more than we critique others. Critique ourselves more than we critique others. We're in a society that we love to look at everyone else and point out everything wrong and bad and how they're stupid or dumb or they don't do it right. I mean, I was just going through, um, my news channel feed and it's not even news anymore. It's just commentary on people's lives and ripping on stars and ripping on politicians and ripping on people that don't have the same views. It was just, it was kind of absurd and we can get caught into that. The loudest voice should be speaking into you more than it speaks into others. The loudest voice of critique should be one speaking into your own heart and soul to say, slow down, humble yourself, don't talk, don't post. That should be happening more constantly than us always having an opinion towards other people. These are brutal passages, so this might take some time for us to meditate on. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and I'm going to read Titus 3, 1 through 8. So Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and I'm going to read Titus 3, 1 through 8, okay? So here we go. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And that means God's going to judge you. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a scary statement. So the, and it, where people mess this up is they say, well, the Bible says, you know, to never judge people. No, it doesn't say that. It just says to judge them in the same way that you want God to judge you. I bet a lot of us want God to judge us with a lot of mercy and a lot of grace. If you're not that person, um, then good luck when you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because if you're hypercritical, he'll have no problem being hypercritical of you. This slows me down. This really slows me down. I hope it slows us down. Um, because God, he follows through on his words. I think sometimes we think God says things like, yeah, 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 but he likes me or because he died for me, he really won't follow through. No, he's gonna follow through. Just like in the other passages where it says, if you refuse to forgive others, I'm not gonna forgive you. 
Like, how can we not forgive? Well, Brian, you don't understand the atrocities that have been done to me. Well, then I don't think you understand the atrocities that you've done to God. So some of these passages, what we do is we definitely don't want them as tattoos on our body, right? <laughs> and then we forget about them. And like, these are serious passages. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. He goes on to explain this, right? He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time you have a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not that we never have a judgment or make a judgment call on someone or give sound judgments. It's not that we never do that. We got to just be slow. And, and here's where I just want to challenge us. As much as we obsess over what other people are doing wrong, and this is whether our kids, our spouse, our politicians, commentators on TV, I mean, it can be in a, a variety of things, right? An array of things. All I'm, all I'm wondering is, are we following the Bible to say that we're evaluating ourselves? That before we call out our kids and their attitude, do we realize that we have an attitude too? It's just we don't roll around on the floor like they do. We go do something else. To realize that politicians, that yeah, it's easy to on Monday critique and we have no idea the information they know. We have no idea the process. We have no idea what they're going through. We're just guessing. We're assuming, which is usually a bad thing. And the Bible says to be careful of your words, that even if your words don't make it to that politician, God holds us accountable for our words and what we post. I'm not saying we can't help other people out or critique, I'm not saying that. Just making sure we're seeing clearly and that as much as we're taking that speck out, we're also focusing on our own inadequacies, our own shortcomings, our own stupidity, and making sure that we're not being hypocritical. If we rebuke our kids, to make sure that we're not doing the exact thing that we're rebuking them for. That if we're frustrating critiquing our spouse, that we're actually not doing the same thing just in a different way, and we're putting our anger on them and our shame on them rather than taking care of our own business. Focusing on ourselves. Titus 3, 1 through 8 says this. Remind people to be subject to the rules and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one. You know what that word means? No one in Greek. I looked it up because I'm a pastor and I have plenty of time, right? Got a lot of time. You know what no one means? Nobody. That's right. I know you probably said it into the camera. Slander no one. Well, Brian, I'm just speaking truth. Well, truth can be slander too if you're using it maliciously. Slander means to, I'm gonna cut you down. It literally means to cut someone down. So you can't use that as an excuse. Do you really need to say those things? Is it really helping the conversation or helping society? I'm just asking. To be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. Being gentle towards everyone means sometimes backing off on the critique and just focusing maybe on yourself. 
He goes on to say, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God and our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing and the rebirth um, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, that we are justified by grace, that we might become heirs, having hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy thing, and I want to stress these things. The Bible's saying, I want to stress these things. That means we should listen. So that you, those of you who have trusted in God, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We want to live in a way that is profitable for people. And sometimes critique is profitable, but even as we give the critique, the way we give it, we need to make sure that's profitable. And sometimes it's not profitable. We're just angry. We're just frustrated. We just disagree. So in these times, I think it's good for us to slow down. And, and I want to remind us of this. I think it's, um, let me see if I wrote it on my notes here. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 5. Please read 1 Corinthians 5. I don't have time to read it, but Paul says this. He says, listen, we're to judge as a church. If we're going to judge ourselves or, or, or be critical or critique or say, hey, check each other. Paul says, do it in the church, not outside the church. The church is not called to judge society. The church is called to judge itself. God will judge society. We are to judge ourselves and to purify ourselves to make sure that we're looking like Jesus so that when the world looks at us, they don't feel condemned. They feel compelled to follow Jesus and to accept his grace and mercy. Can I get an amen? Please, somebody. But I find we do the opposite. I think what I find is a lot of my friends that aren't Christians, they're like, yeah, the church is great at telling us what we're doing wrong rather than telling us who we need to do right, and that's Jesus. Maybe we need to look at ourselves, do some introspection individually and as a church. And maybe this is a good time to do it. Maybe we'll find peace through that. As we've stopped focusing on all the chaos, and I'm not saying we're not aware of it, but we learn to critique ourselves and making sure we critique our own church, that we're looking like Jesus, acting like Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, not trying to judge society. Maybe also it's good for us to make sure that are we focused on Jesus? Are we obsessed with culture? And then I think the last thing is, hey, are we bridge builders or are we fence builders? Are we looking to be peacemakers or are we contributing to the chaos? The church is challenged today and so is Access Church. And it's not to be culturally relevant per se, I wouldn't say that, but it's to be influential. And you can't be influential if people don't feel like you care about them, if people feel like you don't know about them, and if people feel like that you're not for them, you're against them. And so here's the thing, it's not about tricks and programming that's gonna make us influential, it's about us purifying ourselves so that we can love others well. That's how I want to end these last few weeks. May we purify ourselves so that we can love like Jesus loved. Because that's what 
Jesus judges the church on. Not how much we know, not how many arguments we win, but how well we love. As you go into the time of worship, I hope this gives you a lot to reflect on and um, let us know. Let us know how you're doing, what you're thinking. I know we're not in connection groups. Or maybe reach out to a friend or maybe share this with someone that you feel like they can benefit from it and have a conversation with them. But continue the honest conversations, continue talking, and uh, may we glorify God through it. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go toaccesschurch.com. 